Chapter 5. The Window on the West It seemed to Sam that he'd only dozed for a few minutes when he awoke to find that it was late afternoon and Faramir had come back. He brought many men with him, indeed all the survivors of the foray were now gathered on the slope nearby, two or three hundred strong. They sat in a wide semicircle, between the arms of which Faramir was seated on the ground, while Frodo stood before them. It looked strangely like the trial of a prisoner. Sam crept out from the fern, but no one paid any attention to him, and he placed himself on the end of the rows of men, where he could see and hear all that was going on. He watched and listened intently, ready to dash to his master's aid if needed. He could see Faramir's face, which was now unmasked. It was stern and commanding, and a keen wit lay beneath the searching glance. Doubt was in the grey eyes that gazed steadily at Frodo. Sam soon became aware that the captain was not satisfied with Frodo's account of himself at several points. What part he had had to play in the company that had set up from Rivendell, why they had left Baromir, and where he was now going. In particular, he returned often to Silver's Bane. Plainly, he saw that Frodo was concealing from him some matter of great importance. But it was at the coming of the halfling that Isildur's bane should waken, or so must one read the words, he insisted. If then you are the halfling that was named, doubtless you must have brought this thing, whatever it may be, to the council of which you speak. And there Baromir saw it. Do you deny it? Frodo made no answer. So, said Faramir, I wish then to learn you more of it. For what concerns Boromir concerns me. An orc arrow slew Isildur, as far as the old tales tell. But orc arrows are plenty, and the sight of one should not be taken as a sign of doom by Boromir of Gondor. Had you this thing in keeping? It is hidden, you say. But is that not because you choose to hide it? No, not because I choose, answered Frodo. It does not belong to me. It does not belong to any mortal, great or small. Though if any could claim it, it would be Aragorn, son of Arathorn, whom I named, the leader of our company from Moria to Roros. Why so, and not Boromir, prince of the city that the sons of Lendil founded? Because Aragorn is descended in a direct lineage, father to father, from Isildur's and Lendil, uh, sorry, Isildur, Lendil's son himself, and the sword that he bears was a Lendil's sword. A murmur of astonishment ran through all the ring of men. Some cried aloud, The sword of Elendil! The sword of Elendil comes to Minas Tirith! Great tidings! But Faramir's face was unmoved. Maybe, he said. But so great a claim will need to be established, and clear proofs will be required should this Aragorn ever come to Minas Tirith. He had not come, nor any of your company, when I set out six days ago. Boromir was satisfied with that claim, said Frodo. Indeed, if Boromir were here, he would answer all your questions. And since he was already at Raros many days back, and intended then to go straight to your city if you return, you may soon learn the answers there. My part in the company was known to him, as to all the others, for it was appointed to me by Elrond of Imralindris himself, before the whole council. On that errand I come to this country, but it's not mine to reveal to any outside the company. Yet those who claim to oppose the enemy would do well not to hinder it. Frodo's tone was proud, whatever he felt, and Sam approved of it. 
but it did not appease Faramir. So, you bid me to mind my own affairs, and get me back home, and let you be. Boromir will tell all when he comes. When he comes, say you, were you a friend of Boromir? Vividly before Frodo's mind came the memory of Boromir's assault upon him, and for a moment he hesitated. Faramir's eyes watched him and grew harder. Boromir was a valiant member of our company, said Frodo at length, and I was his friend for my part. Faramir smiled grimly. Then you would grieve to learn that Boromir is dead. I, I would grieve indeed, said Frodo. Then catching the look in Faramir's eyes, he faltered. Dead? Do you mean to say he is dead and that you knew it? That you've been trying to trap me in words, playing with me. We are now trying to snare me with a falsehood. I would not snare even an orc with falsehood, said Faramir. How then did he die and how do you know of it? Since you say that none of the company had reached the city when you left. As to the manner of his death, I had hoped that his friend and companion would tell me how it was. But he is alive and strong when we parted, and he lives still, still for all I know. Though surely there are many perils in the world. Many indeed, said Faramir, and treachery is not the least. Sam had been getting more and more impatient and angry at this conversation. These last words were more than he could bear, and he bursting into the middle of the ring, he strode up to his master's side. Begging your pardon, Mr Frodo, he said, but this has gone on long enough. He's no right to talk to you so. After all you've gone through, after as much for his good and all these great men as for anyone else. See here, Captain. He planted himself squarely in front of Faramir, his hands on his hips and a look on his face as if he was dressing a young hobbit who had offered him what he called sauce when questioned about visits to the orchard. There was some murmuring, but also some grins on the faces of men that looked on, the sight of their captain sitting on the ground with eye to eye with a young hobbit, legs well apart, bristling with wrath, was one beyond their experience. See here, he said, what are you driving at? Let's come to the point before all the orcs of Mordor come down on us. If you think my master murdered this Boromir, then ran away. You've got no sense, but say it and have done, and then let us know what you mean to do about it. But it's a pity that the folk that talk to us about fighting the enemy can't let others do their bit in their own way without interfering. He'd be mighty pleased if he could see you now. Think he's got a new friend, he would. Patience, said Faramir, but without anger. Do not speak before your master, whose wit is greater than yours, and I do not need anyone to teach me of peril. Even so, I spare a brief time in order to judge justly in a hard manner. Were I as hasty as you, I might have slain you long ago, for I am commanded to slay all whom I find in this land without the leave of the Lord of Gondor. But I do not slay man or beast needlessly, and not gladly even when it is needed. Neither do I talk in vain, so be comforted, sit by your master, and be silent. Sam sat down heavily with a red face. <coughs> Faramir turned to Frodo again. You asked how I know that the son of Denethir is dead. Tidings of death have many wings. Night offspring news to near kindred, tis said. Boromir was my brother. A shadow of sorrow passed over his face. Do you remember aught of the special mark that the Lord Boromir bore with him among his gear? 
Frodo thought for a moment, fearing some trap and wondering how this debate would turn in the end. He had hardly saved the ring from the proud grasp of Boromir, and how he would fear now amongst so many men, warlike and strong, he did not know. Yet he felt in his heart that Faramir, though he was much like his brother in looks, was a man less self-regarding and both sterner and wiser. I remember that Boromir bore a horn, he said at last. You remember well, and as one who has the truth seen in him, said Faramir, then maybe you can see it in your mind's eye. A great horn of the wild ox of the east, bound with silver and written with ancient characters. That horn, the eldest son of our house, is born for many generations, and it has been said that it has blown anywhere within the bounds of Gondor, as was the realm of old. Its voice will not pass unheeded. Five days ere I set out on this venture, eleven days ago at about this hour of the day, I heard the blowing of that horn, from northward it seemed, but dim, as if it were but an echo in the mind. A boding of ill, we thought, and my father and I, for no tidings have we heard of Boromir since he went away, and no watcher on our border had seen him pass. And on the third night after another, and a stranger thing befell me. I sat at night by the waters of Anduin, in the dark, grey under the young pale moon, watching the ever-moving stream, and on the sad reeds of rustling, so do we ever watch the shores nigh, Osgiliath, which our enemies now partly hold, and issue from it to harry our lands. But that night all the world slept at the midnight hour. Then I saw, or I seemed that I saw, a boat floating in the water, glimmering grey, a small boat of a strange fashion with a high prow, and there was none to row or steer it. An awe fell on me, for a pale light was around it. But I rose and went to the bank, and began to walk into the stream, for I was drawn towards it. Then the boat turned towards me, and it stayed its pace, flowed slowly within my hand's reach. Yet I durst not handle it. I waded deep, as if it were heavily burdened, and it seemed to me, as it passed under my gaze, it was filled with clear water, from which came the light and lapped in the water, a warrior lay asleep. A broken sword was on his knee. I saw many wounds on him. It was my brother, Boromir, dead. I knew his gear, his sword, his beloved face. The one thing only I missed was his horn. The one thing only I knew not, a fair belt, as if it were linked golden leaves. Boromir, I cried, where is thy horn? Whither thou goest, a Boromir. But he was gone. The boat turned into the stream and passed glimmering on into the night. Dreamlike it was, but no dream, for there was no waking. And I do not doubt that he is dead and has passed down the river to the sea. Alas, said Frodo, that was indeed Boromir as I knew him. For the golden belt was given to him in Lotharion by Lady Galadriel. She it was clothed us as it was she that clothed us, as you see, in Elven Grey. This brooch is of the same workmanship. He touched the green and silver leaf that fastened his cloak beneath his throat. Faramir looked closely at it. It is beautiful, he said. Yes, tis the work of the same craft. So then you pass through the land of Lorien? Lori Lindorian, as it was known of old? But long ago now. There's lain beyond the knowledge of men, he added softly, regarding Frodo with a new wonder in his eyes. 
Much that was strange about you I begin now to understand. Will you not tell me more? For it is bitter thought that Boromir died within sight of the land of his home. No more can I say than I have said, said Frodo, though your tale fills me with foreboding. A vision it was that you saw, I think, and no more, some shadow of evil fortune that has been or will be, unless it is indeed some lying trick of the enemy. I have seen the faces of fair warriors of old laid deep sleep between the pools of the dead marshes, or seeming so by their foul arts. Nay, it was not so, said Faramir, for his works fill the heart with loathing, but my heart was filled with grief and pity. Yet how could such a thing have happened in truth, asked Frodo, for no boat could have carried over the stony hills from Tol Brandir, and Boromir purposed to go home across Entwash to the great fields of Rohan. And yet how could any vessel ride in the foam of the great falls and not founder in the boiling pools, though laden with water? I know not, said Faramir, but whence came the boat? From Lorien, said Frodo. And three such boats we rode down Anduin to the falls. They are also of elven work. You have passed through the hidden land, said Faramir, but it seems you don't understand its power. If men have dealings with the mistress of magic that dwells in the golden wood, then they may look for strange things to follow. For it is perilous for mortal man to walk out of the wood of the sun, and few of old have come thence unchanged. Boromir, he cried. What did she say to you, the lady that dies not? What did she see? What woke in your heart then? Why went ye ever to Lothlorien, and came not by your own road, upon the horses of Rohan, riding home in the morning? Then turning again to Frodo, he spoke in a quiet voice once more. To those questions, I guess that you could make some answer, Frodo, son of Drogo. But not here or now, maybe. But lest you should still think my tale a vision, I will tell you this. The horn of Boromir at least returned in truth, and not in seeming. The horn came, but it was cloven in two, as it were by an axe or a sword. The shards came severally to shore. One was found amongst the reeds where watchers of Gondor lay, northwards below the infalls of Entwash. The other was found spinning in the flood by one who had the errand on the water. Strange chances, but murder will out, to says. And now the horn of the elder son lies in two pieces upon the lap of Denethor, sitting in his high chair waiting for news. And you can tell me nothing of the cleaving of the horn? No, I did not know of it, said Frodo. But the day when you heard it in blowing, if you're reckoning tis true, was the day when we parted, when I and my servant left the company. And now your tale fills me with dread. For if Boromir was in peril and was slain, I must fear that all my companions have perished too. And they were my kindred and friends. Will you not put aside your doubt of me and let me go? I am weary, full of grief and afraid, but I have a deed to do or to attempt before I too am slain. And the more need of haste if we two halflings are all that remain of our fellowship. Go back, Faramir, valiant captain of Gondor, and defend your city while you may, and let me go where my doom takes me. For me there is no comfort in our speech together, said Faramir. But you surely draw from it more dread than need be. Unless the people themselves of Lorien came to him, who arrayed Boromir as for a funeral? Not orcs or servants of the nameless. It will be some of your company, surely. And they must live still.
But whatever befell on the North March, you, Frodo, I doubt no longer. If hard days have made me any judge of men's words and faces, then I make it, may make a guess at a halfling's. And now he smiled. There is something strange about you, Frodo, an elvish air, maybe. But more lies upon our words together than I first thought. I should now take you back to Minas Tirith to answer there to Denethor, and my life will justly be forfeit if I now choose a course that proves ill for my city. So I will not decide in haste what is to be done. Yet, we must move hence without more delay. He sprang to his feet and issued more orders. At once men who were gathered around him broke up into small groups and went off this way and that, vanishing quickly into the shadows of the rocks and trees. Soon only Mablung and Damrod remained. Now you, Frodo and Samwise, will come with me and my guards, said Faramir. You cannot go along the road southwards if that was your purpose. It would be unsafe for some days, and always more closely watched after this affray than it has been. And you cannot, I think, go far today in any case, because you are weary, and so are we. We are going down now to a secret place we have, somewhere less than ten miles from here. The orcs and the spires of the enemy have not found it yet, and if they did, we could hold it a long while, even against many. There we may lie up and rest for a while, and you with us. In the morning I will decide what is best for me to do, and for you. There is nothing for Frodo to do but to fall in with this request or order. It seemed in any case a wise course for the moment, since this foray of the men of Gondor made the journey into Ithlion more dangerous than ever. They set out at once, Mumblog and Damrod a little ahead and Faramir with Frodo and Sam behind. Skirting the hither side of the pool where the hobbits had bathed, they crossed the stream, climbed a long bank and passed into green-shadowed woodlands that marched ever downwards and westwards. While they walked as swiftly as the hobbits could go, they talked in hushed voices. I broke off our speech together, said Faramir, not only because time pressed, as Master Samwise had reminded me, but also because we were drawing nearer to matters that better not debated openly before many men. It is, that for reason, it is for that reason that I turned rather to the matter of my brother and let be a silver's bane. But you were not wholly frank with me, Frodo. I told you no lies, and of the truth I told you all I could, said Frodo. I do not blame you, said Faramir. You spoke with skill in a hard place and wisely, it seemed to me, but I learned or guessed more from you than your words said. You were not friendly with Boromir, or you did not part in friendship. You, Master Samwise too, I guess have some grievance. Now I loved him dearly and would gladly avenge his death, yet I knew him well. Isildur's bane. I would hazard that Isildur's bane lay between you and what was the cause of contention in your company. Clearly it is a mighty heirloom of some sort, and such things do not breed peace amongst confederates. Not of aught may be learned from them from ancient tales. Do I hit near the mark? Near, said Frodo, but not on the gold. There was no contention in our company, although there was doubt. Doubt which way we should take from Imenbul. But be that as it may, ancient tales teach us also the peril of rash things and rash words concerning things such as heirlooms. Ah, then it is as I thought, your trouble is with Boromir alone. He wished this thing to be brought to Minas Tirith. Alas, it is a crooked fate that seals your lips who saw him last, and holds from me that which I long to know. What was in his heart and thought in his last hours? Whether he erred or no, of this I am sure, he died well, achieving some good thing. His face was more beautiful than even in life. 
But Frodo, I pressed you hard at first about Osilda's vein. Forgive me. It was unwise in such an hour and place. I had not time for thought. We had such a hard fight, and there was more than enough to fill my mind. But even as I spoke with you, I drew nearer to the mark, and so deliberately shot wider. For you must know that it is still preserved of ancient law amongst the rulers of the city, and not spread abroad. We of my house are not of the line of Elendil, though the blood of Numenor is in us. For we reckon back to Maradol, the good steward, who ruled in the king's stead when he went away to war. And that was King Inur, the last line of Anarion, and the childless, and he came never back. And the stewards have governed the city since that day, though it was many generations of men ago. And this I remember of Boromir as a boy, when we together learned the tale of our sires and the history of our city, it was always displeased him that the father was not king. How many hundreds of years need it be to make a steward a king if the king returns not, he asked. A few years maybe, in other places of less royalty, my father answered. In Gondor, ten thousand years will not suffice. Alas, poor Boromir, does that not tell you something of him? It does, said Frodo, yet he always treated Aragorn with honour. I doubt it not, said Faramir. If he was satisfied of Aragorn's claim, as you say, he would have held great reverence for him. But the pinch had not yet come. They had not yet reached Minas Tirith or come, become rivals in her wars. But I stray. We are in the house of Denethor. Know much ancient lore by long tradition. And there are moreover in our treasures many things preserved. Books and tablets written with the parchments, yea, and on stone. And on leaves of silver and of gold and diverse characters. Some none can now read. And for the rest, few ever unlock them. I can read a little in them. For I've had some teaching. It was these records that brought the grey pilgrim to us. I first saw him when I was a child, and it's been twice or thrice since then. The grey pilgrim, said Frodo, had he a name? Mithrandir, we called him in our fashion, said Faramir, and he was content. Many are my names in many countries, he said. Mithrandir amongst the elves, Tharkun amongst the dwarves, Olorin, when I was in my youth in the west, that is forgotten, in the south in Cantus, in the north Gandalf, in the east I go not. Gandalf, said Frodo, I thought it was he, Gandalf the Grey, dearest of counsellors, leader of our company. He was lost to Moria. Mithrandir is lost, said Faramir. An evil fate seems to have pursued your fellowship. It is hard indeed to believe that one so great in wisdom and power for many wonderful things he did amongst us, could perish, and so much law be taken from the world. Are you sure of this, and that he did not just leave you and depart where he would? Alas, yes, said Frodo. I saw him fall into the abyss. Oh, I see that there's some great tale of dread in this, said Faramir, which perhaps you may tell me in the evening time. This Mithrandir was, I now guess, more than a lawmaster, a great move of the deeds are done in our time. Had he been amongst us to consult concerning the hard words of our dream, he could have made clear to us without need of a messenger. Yet maybe he would not have done so, and the journey of Boromir was doomed. Mithrandir never spoke to us of how it was to be, nor did he reveal his purposes. He got leave of Denethor, how I do not know, to look at the secrets of our treasury. I learnt little of him, when he would teach, and that was seldom. 
Eva he would search and would question us above all else concerning the great battle that was fought upon Dagolan, the beginning of Gondor, when he whom we would not name was overthrown. And he was eager for stories of Horacilda, though of him we had less to tell, for nothing certain was ever known among us of his end. Now Faramoy's voice sunk to a whisper. But this much I learned, or guessed, and I've kept it ever secret in my heart since, that Asilda took something or somewhat from the hand of the unnamed ere he went away to Gondor, never to be seen amongst mortal men again. Here I thought was the answer to Mithrindra's questioning, but it seemed then a matter that concerned only the seekers after ancient learning. Nor when the riddling words of our dreams were debated amongst us did I think of Asilda's bane as being the same thing. For Asilda was ambushed and slain by orc arrows, according to the only legend that we knew, and Mithrandir had never told me more. What in truth this thing is I cannot yet guess, but some heirloom of power and peril it must be. A foul weapon, perchance, devised by the Dark Lord. If it were a thing that gave great advantage in battle, I can well believe that Boromir, the proud and fearless, often rash, ever anxious for the victory of the Ministereth, and his own glory therein, might desire such a thing and be allured by it. Alas, that Eva went on that errand. I should have been chosen by my father and the elders, but he put himself forward. As being the older and hardier, both true, and he would not have stayed. But fear no more. I would not take this thing if it lay by the highway. Not where ministereth falling ruin, and I alone could save her, so using the weapon of the dark blood, Lord, for her good and my glory. No, I do not have a wish for such triumphs, Frodo sang of Drogo. Neither did the council, said Frodo, nor do I. I would have nothing to do with such matters. For myself, said Faramir, I would see the white tree and flower again in the courts of the kings, and the silver crown return, and minister in peace, and minister Nora as again of old, full of light, high and fair, beautiful as a queen amongst other queens, not a mistress of many slaves, nay, not even a kind mistress of willing slaves. War must be while we defend our lives against a destroyer who would devour all. But, but I do not love the bright sword for its sharpness, nor the arrow for its swiftness, nor the warrior for its glory. I love only what they defend, the city of the men of Nurmanor, and I would have loved for her memory, her ancient tree, her beauty and her present wisdom. Not feared, save as men may fear the dignity of a man old and wise. So fear not. I do not ask you to tell you any more. I do not even ask you to tell me whether I can now speak nearer, whether I am now speaking nearer the mark. But if you would trust me, it may be that I can advise you in your present quest, whatever that may be, and yet even to aid you. Frodo made no answer. Almost he yielded to the desire for help and counsel, to tell this grave young man whose words seemed so wise and fair everything that was on his mind. But something held him back. His heart was heavy with fear and sorrow. If he and Sam were indeed, as it seemed likely, all that was now left of the nine walkers, then he was in sole command of the secret of their errand. Better mistrust undeserved than rash words. And the merry merry of Boromir, of the dreadful change of the, that the lure of the ring had worked in him, was very present in his mind. And when he looked at Faramir and listened to his voice, unlike they were, and yet also much akin. 
They walked on in silence for a while, passing like grey and green shadows under old trees, their feet making no sound. Above them many birds sang, and the sun glistened on the polished roof of dark leaves in the evergreen wood of Lathulian. Sam had taken no part in the conversation, though he had listened, and at the same time he had attended with a keen hobbit ears all to the soft woodland noises around them. One thing he had noted, and all the talk in the name of Gollum had not once come up. He was glad, though he felt that it was all too much to hope that he would never hear it again. He soon became aware that though they were walking alone, there were many men close at hand. Not only Damrod and Manblong flitting in and out of the shadows ahead, but others on each side, all making their swift secret way to some appointed place. Once, looking suddenly back, as if some prickle of skin told him that he was watched from behind, he thought he caught a gr- brief glimpse of a small dark shape slipping behind a tree trunk. He opened his mouth to speak and shut it again. I'm not sure of it, he said to himself. And why should I remind him of the old villain if they choose to forget him? I wish I could forget him. So they passed on until the woodlands grew thinner and the land began to fall more steeply. Then they turned aside again to the right and came quickly to a small river in a narrow gorge. It was the same stream that trickled far above out of the round pool, now grown to a swift torrent leaping down over many stones in a deep cloven bed, overhung with ilex and dark books, boxwoods. Looking west they could see, behind them, in a haze of light, lowlands and broad meads, and glinting far off in the western sun, the wide waters of Anduin. Here, alas, I must do you a discourtesy, said Faramir. I hope you will pardon it, one to, who has made it so far. His orders give way to courtesy as not to slay you or bind you. But it is a command that no stranger, not even one of Rohan that fights with us, shall see the path we now go with open eyes. I must blindfold you. As you will, said Frodo. Even the elves do likewise at Neve. And blindfolded we crossed the borders of fair Lothorian. Gimli the dwarf took it ill, but the hobbits endured it. There's no place fair that I shall lead you, said Faramir. But I'm glad that you are willing to take this, and not by force. He called softly and immediately Manblong and Damrod stepped out of the trees and came back to him. Blindfold these guests, said Faramir. Securely, but not as to discomfort them. Do not tie their hands. They will give their word and try not to see. I could trust them to shut their eyes of their own accord, but eyes will blink if the feet stumble. Lead them so they do not falter. With green scarves, the two guards now bound up the hobbit's eyes and drew their hoods down almost to their mouths. Then quickly they took each other by the hand and went on their way. All that Frodo and Sam knew of this last mile of the road, they had learned from guessing in the dark. After a little, they found they were on a path descending steeply. Soon it grew so narrow that they were in a single file, brushing a stony wall on either side. The guards steered them from behind there, with hands that laid firmly on their shoulders. Now and again they came to rough places and they were lifted from their feet for a while and then set down again. Always the noise of running water was on their right hand and it grew nearer and louder. At length they were halted. Quickly Mumblung and Damrod turned about them several times and they lost all sense of direction. They climbed upwards a little. It seemed cold and the noise of the stream had become faint. Then they were picked up and carried down, down many steps, around a corner. Suddenly they heard water again, loud now, rushing and splashing. 
all round it seemed, and they felt fine rain in their hands and cheeks. At last they were set on their feet once more. For a moment they stood, half tearful, half fearful, blindfold, not knowing where they were, and no one spoke. Then there came a voice from Faramir close behind. Let them see, he said. The scars were removed and their hoods drawn back, and they blinked and gasped. They stood on the wet floor of polished stone and the doorstep, as it were, of a rough-hewn gate of rock opening dark behind them. But in front, a thin veil of water was hung, so near that Frodo could have put an outstretched arm to it. It faced westward. The level shafts of the setting sun behind beat upon it, and the red light was broken to many flickering beams of ever-changing colour. It was as if they stood at the window of some elven tower, curtained with threaded jewels of silver and gold, ruby, sapphire and amethyst, all kindled with an unconsuming fire.